word. Father, thank you again that we can take time to seek your face in worship, in prayer, and know that you are here and know that you hear us and know that you answer and that you care about that relationship that we have with you. And so, Father, we pray now that you would speak to our hearts and to our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This is our final message on the book of James. Um, We've been going through this series uh, for the last uh, two, two and a half months. We've been looking at what I've called vintage Christianity. I kind of changed the graphic today a little bit because I wanted to have uh, more of that focus on prayer uh, today. But James is one of the oldest books in the New Testament. A lot of people believe, a lot of scholars believe that it was the first letter, the first epistle that was written in the New Testament probably somewhere around 49 AD. So now you think back to when Jesus that when when Jesus was crucified, was buried and rose again and then ascended into heaven uh, just a little while after that, that that 49 AD is not very long. That was that was a relatively short period of time, somewhere around you know, 29 years or, or maybe a little less, a little more, depending on exactly which year it was that Jesus uh, was born. But we're, we're talking about a, a real short period of time that we get this letter written. So, so you have Christians who have, are beginning to experience life and, and they're experiencing the hardship of being a Christian. They're experiencing the persecution and all those things that go on. And so James writes to them to, to give them some hope and and also to help guide them in the, in their spiritual walk. And so he covered uh, the basics of what it is to be a Christian. He covered so many things in this book. Where, um, where he says that we need to learn to see the world from God's perspective. Uh, that we need to, to treat others with dignity and equality. We need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Uh, we, we need to back up our claims of faith with supporting action. How we live live out our lives. Uh, I was sharing with my Sunday school class, but yesterday we had a funeral here, and and the flowers are are left by the family for us to enjoy this morning, but as a family that that were were not Christians or were marginal Christians and and some and some that had some really strange ideas and about spirituality and and yet as a church we offered them our facility to come in and have a funeral service and and to be able to to and they end up hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, and 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 that was a good thing but uh, standing right here in the front the mother of this 50 year old man who died uh, hugged me and uh, she said this was the greatest display of Christian love that I've ever seen um, we back up your claims with actions and so for Rose who and, and Dave who gave a lot of time yesterday and and for some from La Morada who gave a lot of time and for all of us who 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 through our tithes and offerings provide this place staying open? Um, that's a that was that was love in action. That's what James is talking about. Don't tell me you love me. Show me you love me. Don't tell people that you love them. Show them that you love them. And we just got to practice a little bit of James uh, yesterday afternoon, and that was a great thing. Uh, we need to be careful, he says, about what we say. Um, we need to make decisions according to God's wisdom. We keep our motives in check. Uh, 
um, getting rid of spiritual pride. And and we then we saw last week we need to develop endurance. And for those of you who were in Bible study this morning, you got another dose of of from from Peter's perspective how we develop endurance and how important that is in our lives. But he saves this one last area, this most important topic for last, and he closes out his letter uh, with the call, let us pray. And see, we're not quite there yet, but that's okay. Um, Let us pray. It is, uh, that's, that's a pastor thing. You hear that in church. Let us pray. And so that's why I chose that title. Let us pray. Uh, We're in James chapter 5, the last verses, verses 13 to 20, where he teaches about prayer. He's going to to say, this is what I want you to do. You need to pray. It needs to be the most important part of what you do. Dwight L. Moody, um, the the preacher from Chicago, Moody Bible Institute, Moody Church, and and, and for all that he's done over what he did in his lifetime and and the impact he's had on the world, not just in the United States, for for Christ, uh, commented one time that he would rather learn to pray than to preach. Because he said, after all, Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, but he did teach them how to pray. Now, for, for some of you, may, you may wish that Jesus taught your pastor how to preach, but he never does that anywhere. But he does teach how to pray. In fact, there's a lot of things Jesus never taught us to do that we do in church, but he taught us to pray. Because you really cannot accomplish or do anything else till you get this one down. This one always has to undergird everything else we do. It is that area of pray, of praying. And so Jesus taught his disciples how to pray because prayer is the most important aspect of our lives. That's why I had you read the Lord's Prayer today. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but really the Lord's Prayer is found in, in John chapter 17, the Gospel of John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus, where he prays and we hear him praying. But... In this portion, in Matthew, it is because the disciples said, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And he taught them how to pray. And that thing that we call the Lord's Prayer is Jesus teaching us how to pray. And and then we watch what he did and we learn more about prayer. Because our relationship with God is more important than any other relationship that you have. And that relationship is maintained through prayer. That's how we maintain it. And also James teaches us our relationships with others are strengthened through prayer. And so as we we grow in our relationship with God because we pray, we grow in our relationship with other believers because we pray. And then James finishes his letter by reminding us as Christians, oh, and by the way, don't forget, let us pray. You need to pray. Martin Luther, the, the 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 Christian uh, the the Catholic priest who 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 discovered that that uh, that that faith uh, that believing faith saving faith uh, comes through through Jesus Christ alone uh, sent a letter to a friend one time and asked him uh, who would ask him about the Christian life and in his letter he said it's a good thing to let prayer be the first business of the morning and the last in the evening. 
I said, you need to get in that habit of doing that. Someone else put it this way. Prayer is the key to the morning and the bolt of the evening. And I, I, I like that statement because it reminds me uh, to, to pray. Uh, because like a lot of us, a lot of you here in Stockton, we have an alarm system. We have one on the church. We have one at our home. And... Um, in the morning, uh, Barbara, I, whoever, whoever goes downstairs first has a responsibility to do what? Turn that rascal off. Because as soon as you touch a door and start to open it, or a window and start to open it, if no one's turned it off, it sets off all kinds of alarms, and we don't like that. So we have to do that. And then at night, though, in order to make it effective, we have to bolt the house and part of bolting the house is setting that alarm so that the first one downstairs can turn it off again the next morning and and that reminds me to, to pray that that if i'm going to be if we're going to be safe in christ and we're going to we're going to have that relationship with him and the relationship with others then we've got to start out with prayer in the morning but we also have to bolt that that relationship closed at night as we spend more time with christ in our in our prayer time and uh, james challenges us to get Serious about our prayers, and uh, and so uh, there's a truth here that I that I really want you to remember, and and the truth is this: that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray because prayer is the most important aspect of our lives. Prayer is the most important aspect of your life. Whether you're talking about your spiritual life or otherwise, you you are going to be ineffective, and you're going to be you're going to be you're going to be always disappointed and always struggling if you don't have an effective prayer life. If it's if it's not what it needs to be. And so this morning, I want to share three things that James shares with us to strengthen. Three ways to strengthen your prayer life. How do you take your prayer life from here to there, to where God closer to where it really needs to be? And I. I don't know that we ever get all the way there in our prayer lives. Some people get a lot further than others, but I, I just think that that always our prayer life ought to be growing. It ought to be strengthened more and more and more until we're finally in the very presence of God in heaven. But until then, we just need to continue to grow in it. We need to practice it. We need to learn everything that we can about about prayer. And so, three ways to strengthen your prayer life. The first way that James says that we do that is to make prayer the first response to everything. Make it your first response to everything that's going on in your life. In verses 13 and 14, here in James 5, he says this, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. When you're singing songs of praise, what are you doing? You're praying. You're praying to God. You're, you're singing your prayer at that point. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him. James is saying that we should pray in what? In every situation that we find ourselves in. We, we really need to learn to follow the, the advice of, of Billy Graham's daughter, Ruth Graham. She said this way. She said, pray when you feel like it. For it is a sin to neglect such an opportunity. Pray when you don't feel like it, for it is dangerous to remain in such a condition. 
And, and let's be honest, there are times when we do both of those. We, are, we know God is blessing and we don't take the time to pray. We are excited about what God is doing and we don't take time to ask Him. And then the next day comes and everything is falling apart in our lives and we don't pray then either because we're so discouraged. And James says, that's wrong on both counts. No matter what your life condition is, no matter what's going on, take time to pray. Make prayer the first thing that you do. And we have this this tendency to only use prayer in panic situations, don't we? When something really as bad is going on, we're like the guy who was working on his roof and and he was he was tacking down some 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 tiles on his roof and and his balance began to give way and pretty soon he found himself sliding headfirst down toward the edge of the roof and and he knew it was a two-story drop once he got to the edge and there was nothing that he could hold on to and he did what we would all do in a panic situation he cried out to God God please help me I'm about to fall off of the roof and just as he got to the edge of the roof and his head was sticking over already all of a sudden something he felt grab his pants leg and it stopped him he didn't know what had happened but he looked back and he had caught his pants leg on a nail and you know what he did he said never mind God the nail stopped me Don't need your help after all, I guess, God. And that's the problem with crisis-driven prayer. It's not that we shouldn't pray when crisis comes, but when the crisis goes away, our motivation to pray tends to go with it, doesn't it? It tends to just follow it right out the door. And James says that prayer should be a part of every aspect of life. And when, we, when we're happy, when we're sad, when we're troubled, when we're sick, we need to take our concerns and our joys to God. Both Peter and Paul made the same suggestions. And I'm not talking about Peter, Paul, and Mary. I'm talking about the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. Made the same suggestions. A pastor once scolded his congregation, and, and maybe you've been scolded this way in the past too, I don't know, um, about frivolous prayer. Don't bother God with frivolous prayer, with picky any kind of stuff. He told them it was silly to pray for parking places. Or it was silly to pray about a toothache. Or... A missing piece of jewelry, a cufflink, something very insignificant. Don't bother God with that small stuff, he said, because it trivializes prayer. And it keeps us from taking prayer seriously. But you know what? That's a lie. The Bible doesn't say anything like that. The Bible doesn't say that you can trivialize prayer. It doesn't say that any prayer that you that you pray can make us not take prayer seriously. In fact, Scripture exhorts us to pray about everything, and I means everything. Listen to some of these passages of Scripture. Philippians 4, 6, Paul said, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then he says it again in Ephesians 6, 18, And pray in the Spirit on 
all occasions. You might want to underline those words, all occasions. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And then Peter comes along in 1 Peter 5, 7. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And together, along with James, they are telling us that you cannot trivialize prayer. It doesn't matter what it is that you want to talk to God about, you cannot trivialize it. Because as far as God is concerned, there are no unimportant parts of your life. How many of you would tell your spouse, Oh, there's unimportant parts about you that I don't really care about and I don't want to talk about. Or you would tell your kids, there's parts about you that I just don't care about, and if I talk to you about them, that would just be so trivial. Instead, we tell our spouses, every part about you is important to me, and I want to know about all of it. We, we beg our kids when they're, when they're in high school to tell us about their day. Because it's not trivial to us. And yet we come to God who gave us life, who gives us breath, who saved us, and we tell him, Oh God, I don't want to bother you with this because it would just be too trivial. You don't care about it anyway. And he says, Baloney. It's all important to me and I want to hear about it. It is important. And so he says, Tell me about it. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. And so when you wake up in the morning... You don't want to wait to begin your conversation with God. Just start right away. And use prayer to unlock God's presence in your life. Is your day off to a good start? Thank Him for it. If it's off to a bad start, ask Him for His help. Whatever happens, good, bad, or indifferent, get in the habit of making prayer your first response. Secondly, it says you want to grow in your prayer life, you want it to strengthen, you want it to you want it to be more like God needs it to be and wants it to be tomorrow than it is today, then start praying with a group. Find a group and start praying with them. James says the effective prayer requires something. It requires the involvement of a lot of people. Of many people. First, he tells believers to call on the leadership of the church to have them pray specifically about the situations that are going on in their lives. And then, secondly, he tells them to pray for each other and with each other. And then he urges them to do something that we really don't like, and that is to confess to one another. He says, Pray. Ask your, uh, make it the first response to everything you do, and then find some people to pray with. Pray, ask your pastor to pray with you and, and share those things that, that need to be prayed about. Uh, and then find some others and pray with them, and, and, and then confess if you need to. And that's difficult, I know. Uh, prayer is a private matter uh, in a lot of areas, and, and, and some things just aren't easy to share with other people. Um, and, and that's understandable. Um, but but uh, God wants us to learn to be transparent with one another. And that means that we need to share. It doesn't, he doesn't want us to be burdened by secrets. He wants us, uh, doesn't want us to be held back by shame. And if we get in the habit of praying with others, we learn to be open and honest with one another. 
And the more open we are with about what's going on in our lives, the more God's power there can be experienced. James says it this way. Or not, excuse me, Jesus. Jesus says it this way in, in Matthew eighteen nineteen. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Jesus also said in, in, in Matthew eighteen twenty, For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Richard, Fo- Richard Foster is a, a guy who has written some marvelous books. And, and, and most of his books have to do with prayer and meditation and, and those kinds of things. And, and, and pretty much any book you find about Richard Foster, by Richard Foster, you ought to take time to read it. If you get your hands on it, just go ahead and take some time and read it. And, and he wrote one book uh, called Prayer Finding the Heart's True Home. And, and you ought to read that one, especially if you get a chance. Most of the book tends to focus on private prayer and, and you know, covenant and, and contemplative prayer where you where you just spend time in quiet alone and, um, and, and, and just letting God speak to you. Uh, but there's a, a chapter titled Healing Prayer. And, and he gives prayer a little bit different direction. He goes a little bit different direction than the rest of the book. Uh, in, in that chapter, he emphasizes the power of group prayer. And he, he tells the story of a young girl, a student of his, because he was, a, he was a, a Bible college professor. And he, and, um, and, and he was, who was in a serious accident. This, this girl, this student was in a serious accident. And, and she was in critical condition in the hospital. And, and they didn't think she would pull through. The doctors didn't. And, and so he got his, his other students together, her classmates, these Christian young people, and he, he challenged them, he commissioned them to, to pray for their fellow student, for this young lady who was in critical condition. And she had a brain injury. And so he prayed. He, he asked them to pray specifically for a specific physical result. He said, I want you to pray for those injured capillaries in her brain to begin to heal and for the swelling in her brain then to go down. And this group of students who are willing to have faith that God would hear and answer, prayed all night, and the young lady's condition began to improve. And within a week, she was released from the hospital. And it happened, Richard Foster believes, because a group of believers trusted God and prayed. Prayed very specifically. That's why James says in verse 14, call the elders of the church to pray over him. I don't have any statistics to back to back up this, but just basing on what I've experienced over the course of, of all my many years of ministry, um, it seems that the miraculous occurs more often when the whole church is praying about a situation than when it's just one person praying. James says... In verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. He said there's something healing about that kind of prayer. 
their strength in numbers, if you will. To the extent that that you make yourself transparent to others, you can experience God's power in your life. And that's why uh, being involved in a group, whether it's your Sunday school class or or it's a group of people that you meet with just for prayer, um, that that becomes important. It's a it's a uh, it's important that we spend that time because we need that accountability. We need that support uh, that a group setting begins to provide in our lives. Um, and and if you're praying with other people. On a regular basis, I mean, you're praying with them once a week, or you're praying with them a couple of times a week, and you're meeting together just for that purpose of praying, then what happens is that that you find yourself getting plugged in to what God is doing. And there is healing power in that. So let me encourage you, start praying with a group. Start spending some time in prayer as a group. Sometimes in Sunday school, we we eventually get to our Sunday school lesson in my class because we spend a lot of time praying and and just going over the prayer needs uh, that we're aware of. And, And that's what we need to be doing. We need that time of prayer. And then thirdly, you need to expect results. If your prayer life is going to be strengthened, you need to start... Everything with prayer. And then you need to, to pray with a group. And then you got to expect that God's going to answer. you got to expect that there's going to be results. In verse 15, he says, The power offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. That's a bold statement, isn't it? That if we pray and, and we have faith that a sick person will be made well, that God will lift him up. And, and, uh, and, and it's one that begs the question, why don't people get healed every time someone prays for them? Why don't people not get healed every time someone prays for them? Well, I, I'm going to give you three bad answers that you hear to that question. Because that's a tough one. And, and, and pastors and preachers and Bible study leaders will give you bad answers. And so you gotta, you got to watch. And so let me share three bad answers. So if you hear them, hear someone giving you an answer, you can say, uh, I don't know that I like that answer. That's a, Pastor Terrell said that's a bad answer. Uh, and, and they are. Uh, first one is, it, it must not be God's will. It must not be God's will. That sounds, it sounds spiritual, doesn't it? You know, if I pray for somebody to get healed and they don't get healed, God wasn't going to heal them, wasn't His will. So, you know, that, that's, that's, that's a bad answer if that's the one we're just going to land on. Secondly, well, that person doesn't have enough faith to be healed. Not my fault. They didn't have the faith to get healed. They're, they're sick and they didn't get healed. Well, that kind of kind of have to ask the question about, well, then what about the four friends who carried their, their friend to Jesus and even had to tear the roof off the house to lay him down? Whose, whose, prayer, whose faith was it that healed the young man? It wasn't the guy on the bed, the stretcher. He didn't have faith to get there. He couldn't get there. It was the faith of the four friends, Jesus said. Had nothing to do with the guy who got healed's faith. It had to do with the friends who were bringing him to Jesus. It was their faith. And then the third bad answer is that God no longer heals people. Well, God just didn't in the healing business anymore. Um, 
you know, that's that's a dangerous one too. Uh, you you've heard me. You've, you've heard the little video that we have. Uh, that's my king by 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 Pastor Lockridge. Pastor Lockridge used to, uh, was the was the pastor for many many years of his Baptist church uh, down in down in San Diego. Uh, he's no longer the pastor of his Baptist church in San Diego because he's now at home with the Lord and he's firmly ensconced in heaven and and he knows who his king is and he sees him every day and gets to gets to speak with him and i'm not sure that he wrote this but this this came to barb this week from one of our members uh it's this beautiful card um and uh and it, it has it has his handprints all over it. i don't know that he actually wrote it or not but but i loved what it says no ocean can hold it back No river can overtake it. No whirlwind can go faster. No army can defeat it. No law can stop it. No distance can slow it. No disease can cripple it. No force on earth is more powerful or effective than the power of prayer. That's what James is telling us, isn't it? The effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes whatever it is that God wants to accomplish. It accomplishes much. And and we have we have this need to compartmentalize all aspects of our lives. We we tend especially to do that in the area of religion and we like formulas and we like guarantees and we like and we like instant results and we want to be able to explain the mysteries of the universe with a few just kind of pithy little phrases and it just never works that way. And also when it comes to prayer, many of us would love to be able to tell God what to do at any given moment and be assured that that He will fulfill our bidding. And we find it just doesn't seem to work that way. Because prayer is not a work order for God. God's not our errand boy. And while the Bible makes these bold promises regarding answered prayer, we can't interpret them to mean that God has surrendered control of the universe to us. Because He hasn't. And so James reminds us again in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And then he uses the prophet Elijah as an example. Saying Elijah was the only, the only human, or excuse me, he was only a human. But when he prayed for it not to rain, it didn't rain. And when he prayed for it to rain again, it started raining. And we're not talking about the kind of rain we just had, apparently. We're talking about, he, he said, God, turn off the water, and God did. And it didn't rain for a long time, did it? Three and a half years, it didn't rain on Israel. Can you imagine three and a half years, not one drop of rain? And everybody knew it was because Elijah prayed for it. And finally, he said, okay, now God, let's pray. He prayed that it would rain, and it did. It started to rain once again. And James points out that when a person is committed to follow Jesus Christ in obedience, prays, God is inclined to answer that prayer. 
And so when my life is saying, God, I want to follow you in every way that you have revealed to me that I need to follow you, I am going to keep short accounts of my sin before you so that so that I can stand in righteousness before you and serve you, then he's inclined to hear me and to answer me. And, and that's how I understand it. I, I love my children and... And when they were growing up, I wanted them to have every good thing that I could give them. But did they get everything that they asked for? No. They didn't get everything that they asked for. Why? Because some of the things they asked for weren't going to be good for them. And no matter how much they asked, the answer was never going to be yes. And some things they asked for were good, but they were not quite ready for them at the time. Wasn't going to give them a sports car that had 400 horsepower when they were 15 and a half years old, learning to drive. And they had to wait. And as far as I know, they're still waiting, because I still haven't given them that car. Time wasn't right. And some things they asked for were good, but in the light of the big picture, it was not the best for everyone. And so even though I'm inclined to give my children all they asked for, I didn't, I didn't then and I still don't. Because I love them too much to do that. Still, they needed to ask. And if they don't ask... How am I ever going to give them anything? That's how James comes to the same point. You do not have, because why? You do not ask. You just don't ask. Our relationship with God is that of a father-child relationship. And when we pray, God wants to give us whatever it is we ask, but some of the things we ask for aren't good for us. And, and he'll never give them to us. Some things that we ask for are good, but they're not quite, we're not quite ready for them. So he says, I'm sorry, you're going to have to wait because you're not ready. But when you're ready, I'll give it to you if it's going to be good for you then. And some of the things we ask for may be good, but they don't fit into the big picture. For example, uh, we may have a, a, a picnic and pray for sunshine, but sometimes it rains. That's because even though God wants our picnic to be good, he knows that maybe that at that moment farmers need the rain for their crops. And he says, you know, for the big picture, you might enjoy your hot dog for a little while, but you're going to enjoy the vegetables and everything else are going to come with it when there's rain on the crops. And so we have a wet picnic, perhaps, because of that. Or sometimes we pray for a person to be healed, and it doesn't happen. And that doesn't mean God's deserted us or that God's deserted them. It means that he sees life from a different perspective. He sees life from his side of eternity. We see life from our side of eternity that says, but we only have 70 or 80 years here on this earth. And God says, but when you belong to me, that's just a drop in the bucket. You've got eternity that never ends with me. And I'll answer according to eternity, not according to 70 or 80 years. We tend to cling to life like that's all there is. And often we see death as a tragedy. 
but when a person makes that transition from this world into the next it's not a tragedy if they're saved and we consider it a celebration and when we pray for somebody to be healed and they aren't we need to remember that they've been given us just this great gift the chance to leave the care and pressures of this world behind and enter into unspeakable joy when they know Christ is their Savior. So sometimes we pray and things don't work out exactly the way we want. But they work out best when you take time to look at the big picture. However, I want to encourage you just because prayer doesn't give you the power to control God doesn't mean that you shouldn't bother to pray. In fact, we can pray to God with complete confidence. We can ask anything we want with the absolute assurance that he will only give us what's the best. I think I shared the words of this song with you one other time. I think I've only done that twice ever in my ministry. Because I haven't even known about this song all that long. I can't believe I'm about to quote it again. And then... One of, my, one of the members of my Sunday school class brought this guy up and his music. And I'm thinking, wow. But Garth Brooks, and if you know how much I love country western music, you'd know why I don't talk about Garth Brooks and his lyrics all that much. But he has a song called Unanswered Prayers. And it's about how Garth Brooks and his wife saw his old high school girlfriend at a ball game. And he says that in those days, he had prayed so many times that she would be his wife. And yet, it was best that they didn't end up together. And the chorus says this. I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs, just because he don't answer don't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And so we got to remember, we have a God who gives us the greatest gifts that we need. And when we pray, we know He's not going to give us everything and anything that isn't good. And what's more, we have the assurance that He's going to give us every good thing we ask for. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. The Apostle John said, This is the confidence we have approaching in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, He knows that we have what we ask of Him. So when you pray, even if you don't know exactly what to pray for, even if you don't know what is best in any situation, you can pray with confidence and you can expect results because God does know what we need and he does know what is needed for that situation. And so God will give you direction. He will provide an answer. He will put it in his hands. Uh, he'll put in his hands uh, that... Uh, or put put as we put it in his hands, I can get the words out I'm gonna say, that that we can trust him for what's going to happen next. We don't have to have what the answer is right away. We simply say, God, we're placing this in your hands for you to take care of. Ultimately you have to expect results. 
tell you about one other guy real quickly. Samuel Chadwick was this fiery Methodist preacher in the 19th century England. I don't know if you realize that, but there was a time when the Methodists were the were the ones who were the fire and brimstone fiery preachers of the of the world, and um, and it was in this time frame. And um, and this is what he said one time. He says the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. I encourage you, make more room in your life for prayer. Told the people Wednesday night in our Bible study, because we finished our study on I am a church member. And they asked what we were going to do. I told them kind of on the fence of what we're going to do. And I know what we're going to do now for the next few weeks. We're going to take this and we're going to carry it a little further. And we're going to talk about prayer. How do we move prayer from where it is to where it needs to be? Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. How do we make sure that that's happening? So let's make room. Let's use it as a key to unlock our day and the bolt to keep you safe at night. Make prayer your first response in everything. Make sure you're praying with some other people in your life. And when you pray, learn to wait expectantly for God's answers because that earnest prayer of a righteous person has much power and wonderful results. Let's bow in prayer now. Father, thank you for hearing us. Thank you for answering us. God, we... We are so thankful that we can come before your throne. Because we have no ability, no right. We have, we have no claim on your throne because of our sinfulness. Except through Jesus Christ, who tore down the wall and invites us in to the holy place. The holy of holies. So that we can approach you with confidence. And so through our Savior, Jesus Christ, Father, we come before you today. Knowing that you hear, knowing that you care, knowing that you answer according to your perfect will, according to the needs of our lives, according to the situation where we find ourselves. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts even right now, that your will would be done in all that we need in all that we do. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.